Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. About three years ago, Debbie Ginsburg was working as a professional organizer when she was asked to teach organizing and life management skills to help a college student improve his grades and function better all around. Six months later, the student graduated on the Dean's List and Organize You for Life was born. In today's episode, Debbie talks about her remarkable journey as a serial entrepreneur, from her early days as president of a utility bill auditing company to founder of Uncluttered Domain, a senior move management and aging place consulting firm, to organizing mentor and CEO of Organize You for Life. In her current venture, Debbie offers breakthrough education with one-to-one techniques and tools to mentor high school and college students, as well as adults of any age. Her main objective is to help chronically disorganized people, many from the ADHD and neurodiverse communities, take control of their lives. Debbie will describe her unique blend of individualized educational lessons and brain exercise training to increase focus, improve cognitive skills, and control the ups and downs of emotional dysregulation. Her techniques are designed to help people be more productive, reduce procrastination, master time management, and improve study and work habits. When you teach a person how to organize and function, Debbie says, you give them the fundamental tools to organize their mind, their space, and their life. So now to help us all better understand the skills of organizing and managing life, let's meet today's guest, Debbie Ginsburg. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. It's a pleasure to have you. And before we dive into what you're doing currently, I just wanted to tell up for the sake of our listeners so they understand that you and I met uh, uh, more than a decade ago. And when I was doing a story for my local paper, uh, Newsday, about uh, essentially helping seniors to unclutter their house when they move. And uh, and you were the, uh, the featured uh, expert in the story who helped actually organize this household that was, I guess, actually the parents had passed away and the final remaining parent had done so. And, but leaving the house absolutely packed with stuff and there's their poor family trying to figure out what to do with it, how to, how to declutter it. And, and you, I think, basically uh, organized the whole thing, brought in other experts and the state people and so forth. So from that point on, I could, I could tell this was a true professional organizer. So here we are a decade later. You've had your journey and I've had mine. And so we'll get more into your journey because you've got an interesting journey as well. Uh, But before we do that, I just wanted to dive right in and and talk about what it is as you've made this transition from a professional organizer in in a more physical sense to what you're doing now, which is much more, uh, you know, a much, I think, higher level of organization and a lot of implications that has taken your organizer to another level. So, so tell us a little bit about what it is you do for Organize You for Life. And by the way, it, for, for so, our listeners, yeah. it's Organize You, capital U, letter, I mean, uh, numeral four, life, organizeyouforlife.com. 
Thanks, Ron. So interestingly enough, when I was busy helping people to downsize adults, I was doing two things. I was helping them either downsize so they could continue to live in their home in a safe environment. So we set up organizing systems or I was helping them to move to a new place. The home you're referring to that when we first met has, uh, there was a uniqueness to it that I want to mention because the parents had raised a son who won the Nobel Prize in physics. So the house was full of all sorts of electronics that the son was allowed to pull apart, and nobody ever threw away all the pieces. So there were literally hundreds of electronics, hundreds if not thousands, and it was quite the cluttered home. Moving along through the years, you know, the physical aspect of it was one that I took on and then hired staff to help me. However, all along the way, I certainly noticed there was a a mental attitude. There was I I kept coming across homeowners uh, that were getting ready to move who felt they couldn't do things themselves. There was a wall. And what happened was in about 2018, a woman had advertised that she was looking for a professional organizer to help her son organize his dorm room. And uh, I fit the mold of what she was looking for. So I said, okay, let me respond to her. And when we had the phone call, when we had the conversation, she said to me, uh, by the way, my son has ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, thank you very much. I'm happy we've had this conversation. I don't feel that I am the right person because I don't really have a background working with people with ADHD. I've had exposure from the National Association of Productivity and Organizers. They teach it. I've had exposure from the Institute of Challenging, you know, chronically disorganized. And I said, so I've had the exposure, but I haven't had enough work. So she said, let me ask you a few questions. And she did. And I, she then said to me, which was very surprising, she said, you know, you do have the talent. I think you could do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what she was referring to, but she encouraged me to stop and do my education. So I stopped. I literally mm-hmm. took her at her word because I'm so curious. When people say things, what did she see? So I did do a lot of research, and then I, um, knowing that this young man was in a school that a woman, he was in a Jewish religious university, which had double curriculum. Mm -hmm. A woman is not allowed in his dormitory. I wasn't quite sure why the mom had said she specifically wanted me to help him organize his dorm. Instead, intuitively, I called the dean up and I said, would it be okay if I audit his class? And the dean said yes. I explained why. And while I was sitting there, I watched the young man get up, go out. He'd come back. He was disheveled. He didn't have any paperwork in front of him. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know where the professor was. When he was called upon, he didn't have an answer. Right then and there, I saw exactly what I had to do as an organizer. And it came to mind that similar to, you know, the concept of you give 
a fisherman a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach right. a fisherman to fish, right? He'll have fish for the rest of his life. He'll have food for the rest of his life. So I realized right then and there, I have now passed over to a new part of my career. I mm-hmm. needed to teach organizing skills. And I was very excited by it, but I was not going to get ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. So I started having lessons with this young man. And it was like I called it the cha-cha dance. We would huh. go one step forward, two steps back, one step, because a person with ADHD has working memory issues, which means he couldn't apply what he learned to other things. Mm-hmm. He couldn't remember. He was having, there were a lot of symptomologies. I was learning on the job. Mm-hmm. And yet I was thrilled because he was motivated, which is unusual, which I found mm-hmm. out later. He was self-motivated. And he was falling behind when I got into the picture. And then we had started working together in October. It looked like he wasn't going to graduate on time. And with his perseverance and with my making him accountable, he ended up graduating in the following June on Dean's list. His parents were beyond thrilled, and his mom started calling people and saying, you have to hire this lady to help your kids organize. Yeah, yeah. And that was when the, that was the transfer of what happened. That was the beginning of my new career. Right, right, right. And so this is now uh, uh, three years later, is that correct? Three years. So we really just stopped working. He actually just moved out of the country. I I helped him, I assisted him through uh, graduate school, getting a job, and now he's hoping that one day I will actually find a wife for him, which is another division. <laughs> the okay. matchmaking organizer. That's right, right. Yeah. So, so let's, let's expand on that a bit and talk a bit about what it means to be an organizing mentor. How do you, now you offer training and you offer assessments, you offer um, uh, exercises. Talk about some of these things. So what does the training consist of essentially? Well, the education is to understand that they're learning differently. So therefore, I have to be able to teach them in a manner in which they can understand, which means it might be visual, it might be repetitive, all right? Um, You have to make sure you don't give too much information at one time. I'm a big believer in breaks because I've done enough research to know that when the brain, after about 15 minutes, if you give the brain a break, which we call a pause, the brain will mm-hmm. energize itself. You, It's really a matter of learning two things, mm-hmm. and that is uh, teaching two things, techniques and tools. It's like tricks of the trade and the external tools. So if a person is not born with a sense of time, I'll say to you, Ron, uh, you know, in five minutes, remind me that I should bring up this story. You'll know when it's five minutes. My clients right. will not. So up until a few years ago, they didn't understand this, and so therefore they were always late, chronically late, never made it on time to their appointments. This young man would always come 10 to 12 minutes late to my appointment. And then what ended up happening was I got him down to three minutes late. I considered that a humongous, you know, uh, 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 progression of, you know, success. And that had to do with the fact that I gave him external tools to use to get him ready. So, for instance, let's talk about time management. Okay. So, in time management, 
when someone's, when I say to you, okay, your session is in 10 minutes, what a client of mine will do is say, oh, I have 10 minutes. Well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, open up my email and I'm going to start answering some emails and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get on social media and before you know it, they're 20 minutes late because they don't have a sense of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I teach them we have to have, we can't multitask, we have to single task. We must focus on what we're doing. Focus is the big key word. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I had uh, an, an experience recently where I, I tried to, uh, I tried to multitask and uh, I was actually on uh, I was trying to manage two Zoom calls at once, <laughs> one on my my laptop and one on my um, my phone, and uh, so getting two different audio signals, it was just like, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't I can't decipher anything. So um, yeah, I mean, I I think that there there certainly are studies showing that um, you know that the brain actually it can it could juggle two things, but it can't handle two things at once. They, they've done no, they... because our brain is not divided in two. You can, that means that you're not focusing on either one 100%. Right. And in my situation with these particular clients, if they're not focused 100% on what it is that they need to do, they've lost what it is. You know, they've just lost the whole concept of what they're supposed to be uh, knowing at that moment. Right. Um, so, uh so uh, let me just, uh, so we start, start with time management. Okay, so that's one area we deal with. Uh, you also have talked about the issue of um, uh, basically so scheduling, um, uh, basically reducing procrastination, uh, sort of step-by-step organizing guidance. Um, uh, so t- tell me a little bit more about some of these different skills and tools. Okay, so again, you're dealing with a population that I want to first go back a step. Let's talk about what is neurodiverse. Neurodiverse is an umbrella. Under neurodiverse, it used to mean just the autism population. Now today, we've expanded it to mean autism spectrum. Uh, We no longer use the word Asperger's. We also include ADHD, anxiety, dyslexia, depression. Uh, There are others under that. They have a what's called a neurodiverse movement, which is a phenomenal concept, and I'll explain that later. The concept of being neurodiverse means that your brain does not function the same way. Now, if I were to give you a quick summary of what this means, it's really fascinating. What happens is, is that we all have neurons in the brain. Okay, I'm not a scientist, so for those who are, please excuse me. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I am only a professional organizer. However, I do need to know this. So you've got synapses between the neurons. So the neurochemical transmitter has to be fired up in order for uh, something such as dopamine, which will then cause the uh, neurons to get the messages, so it jumps from one neuron to the other. Right. When you are neurodiverse and you lack this ability to have your neurochemical transmitter, you know, fired up, well, the, it's, you're not getting the full value of what you need in messages that are going through the body. It's in the frontal cortex, and it causes you know, all sorts of issues, okay? So 
when we deal with procrastination, one again, one of the many symptoms of have, being neurodiverse is lack of motivation. It, that's mm-hmm. why it was rare that this young man had a sense of motivation. So I deal a lot with with people who really have no self-motivation whatsoever. So therefore, when it comes to the concept of procrastination, if you have no motivation, you're not even interested in starting a task. And then let's say you do start a task. You may not know, you may not have the ability to sequence what comes next. You also might have that sense of overwhelm. Wow, this is just too much. I can't do it. It's too much. What's going on in the head? What's going on is when you have ADHD, you've got all of these thoughts running through your head, so many at the same time that it's, it's noise, it's clutter. So when you're trying to focus on what it is, the task you're supposed to do, how do you get rid of all the clutter in your head? Mm-hmm. So I actually, believe it or not, I do an entire month of teaching my clients techniques on how to calm down. How do they clear their head of all of those thoughts? Where, how do they check in on themselves during the day? Because if I don't deal with the emotional regulation first, I am not able to work with them to teach them the lessons that they need to learn. And I really want to do a shout-out to my daughter-in-law, who is now in her, I don't know, seventh year, Shoshana. <laughs> She's getting her, neuro, her Ph.D. in neuropsych, and she was the one, when I told her I was doing this, she said, Mom, even though you are a professional organizer and you're dealing with organizing, you cannot separate a person who has ADHD or autism from their emotional regulation or, as we really say, dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And with, though, with that information, she taught me so much as she continues to guide me. And it is the truth because I cannot possibly get my clients to really absorb any lesson unless they're in a sense a calm. Okay. So even throughout, so now getting to the procrastination. Okay. Well, hold on. I want, let's, let's just hold that thought. Okay. About procrastination and and, uh, motivation. We're going to just take a quick break, but it's going to be a short break. So just hold that thought and folks uh, don't go anywhere. There's going to be much more to come with Debbie Ginsburg of organize you for life right after our break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, everyone, to 45 Forward. We're talking today with Debbie Ginsberg, a professional organizer and mentor who helps chronically disorganized people take control of their lives. Now, before continuing our conversation with Debbie, I wanted to mention you can find out more about her by going to her website, organizeyouforlife.com. That's organize, capital U, uh, numeral four, life.com. Learn much more about her training and read more of her Life Hacks blog. So, Debbie, before the break, we were talking about procrastination and motivation and some of the skills you were, uh, you teach your your clients. So let's just continue that conversation about, um, um, yeah. Um, tremendous excitement when you're dealing with someone who, ha- who lacks the motivation, who lacks the know-how of how do I, which is really what it's all about that I'm doing. I teach how do you, how mm-hmm. do you break down the overwhelming aspects of whatever task you have to do. What types of things can you do to make it more fun? And so, you know, when you see someone progress and you see someone tackle something that they can't do, which, by the way, professional organizers in the home do this all the time. The reason why people call professional organizers is because they procrastinate and they don't take care of the different types of organizing needs they have in the home. But when you're teaching it, it's on a different level and you have to do, and I do everything virtually. So when I'm giving my lessons, you know, I have to, we're we're dealing with teaching and then we have to make sure that they're going to practice it, right? So therefore I have to make them accountable. Um, But I will say, because it's really one of my biggest joys is when my clients get it. And through practice, okay, it really takes time. What are we doing? We're teaching people new habits. A person has to learn how to make changes. How do I even start a task when I never wanted to to begin with? Mm. So we have to, you know, sort of find out, well, what's stopping you from doing it? And then a lot of times you'll find out, believe it or not, it could be just pure fear. The fear or the sense of, you know what, I'm never going to do this right. Why bother? Or I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Or I don't have all the tools I need. So we really debunk a lot of the issues that they face when they're not dealing with the activity that they're supposed to. Then I teach them with external tools how to break down what they have to do. Of course, it involves teaching priorities. What's more important? And you and I might understand this. We just might intuitively understand it. There's a world of people who don't, and they need that help. You know, they need it. And they go, and now there's something else I wanted to mention. Going back to neurodiversity, a person might have a diagnosis of ADHD or autism or autism and ADHD or autism spectrum and ADHD and anxiety and depression. It's called comorbidity. So in other words, each person is different from the next. So now no two clients of mine are the same, which means that I have to customize the way I teach the individual person. I might have similar lessons and concepts, but the way each person is going to hear me and receive the information and learn from me, I have to figure out through and its experience what's going to help them. 
How am I going to relate to them? How are they going to relate to me? How are they going to hear me? So it, it really, I find it also fascinating because every single client, it's like a blank slate. I have to do something different and, and attempt to teach them in a different way, and which is why when I see that they have changed, that they have accepted, that they have grown, you know, it, it, it's like a teacher. You feel really, really very, yeah, very pleased with the progress. Right. So and there really are, yeah, customized plans. And so they're all virtual, as you mentioned to me right now, right? They're not- Everything is done virtually. And right. I will tell you, I used to go face-to-face. And uh, during COVID, everyone said it was a big failure to teach students virtually. However, the antithesis, this, when I deal with this particular population, and they mm-hmm. have to look at me face-to-face, I have their attention. When I would go to their home, they'd say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, I need a drink. Oh, they kept making excuses and interrupting. There are internal and external, um, you know, interruptions in our lives. So I talked to them about this. Are you recognizing that you're creating internal interruptions? Let's eliminate. How do we eliminate this? Mindfulness, you know, the the new catchphrase, mindfulness, self-awareness. Okay, so we've gotten now, we've moved more now towards the neuro change. I'm, I did right. a nice segue for you, Ron. Okay, <laughs> do it. Okay. Take that, All right. take that segue so, and run with so it. <laughs> okay. Take that segue and run with it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, curious as I am, I'm constantly, constantly researching, and uh, the information that we have on organizing is basically – and with all due respect to my colleagues, much of what I read is um, the same thing written in different ways, and I'm never satisfied if I don't have more education. So when I was dealing with this young man who was in college, I said, you know, this is great that he's made this change, but I knew it wasn't a permanent change, and it bothered me terribly. So I did a tremendous amount of research on the Internet, and I found a company that actually had 25 years ago with an engineer and NASA, NASA, the, the you know, right. aeronautical, aerospace. okay, yeah. um, what the airspace, yeah, the air company, what they did was they had created a program understanding the concept of the neurochemical transmitters, that the brain is basically lazy. How do we get the brain to work? in order to stimulate it so that we could get permanence towards focus, permanence of cognitive skills, permanence of self-regulation. Mm. So I purchased their their program, and I started with this young man, and holy moly, he went from having 50 seconds of attention to seven minutes. Now, that sounds like nothing to a neurotypical person. Mm-hmm. To a neuroatypical person in their family, they understand that seven minutes is like a lifetime of attention. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. He came back to me. He said, thanks to you, I can concentrate at work. Thanks to you, I can go to graduate school because his attention span had grown. So once I was on to this, I said, let me try it again, and let me try it again. Then the next level of curiosity was, well, how do I know that this is really working? So then right. I learned how to uh, give focus assessments, which is a program that was written by a scientist in South Africa. And I had to go through education of that because I, have to, I had to learn how to interpret 
the results of this assessment. So what I do now is I give people a focus assessment. I am able, not diagnose, not allowed to diagnose, but I'm able to ascertain where is that focus, where is that problem? Is it in their consistency, the performance? Is it impulsivity? Is it from uh, audio distraction, visual distraction? Through this assessment, I could see if they need the brain exercises, a.k.a. neurocognitive training. Neurocognitive training has to be done twice a week for 40 weeks minimum in order for the brain to change. So now we're getting into neuroplasticity. Fancy word for a professional organizer. We're now rewiring the brain. We are now bringing permanence, all studied by Tufts University, proving that this is happening. They tested these individuals, these students who were on it, and they proved these students walked away with permanence of focus and all these other wonderful things. So I introduced that to my practice, and I administer brain exercises virtually if I felt after the focus management that they needed it because I don't like to waste anyone's money or time. After 40 hours, I would give the focus assessment again, Every single one of my clients improved. Every single one, um, you know, totally, totally blew me away. Um, we are now. There are two in, pieces of information I want to share with you. One is the we are embarking on recognizing can we help seniors who are having cognitive decline. Can we help them through neurocognitive training to slow down the cognitive decline? That's one aspect. And then the second aspect is the neuro change. So I am now uh, in education. I'm just starting today where I've already done some uh, introductory work. I'm working with a company for education on how to change people's habits for the better without the brain exercises. In other words, we now know through certain steps, as you were talking about before, how do you lead people to change? How does a person change their habit? So now I'm in this course to bring more benefit to my clients and to broaden my client base. And one day, yes, perhaps work with seniors, work with people who perhaps lost their way. What is my purpose? How do I find what my belief system is? How do I figure out what's going on subconsciously that's stopping me from being who I should be? Because what I do with my clients is to always say to them, let's just reach your personal best. Right. right. So that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So but at one of our breaks earlier, you mentioned this issue about um, how do you you know, find your purpose and that this is sort of integral to, to what you're teaching. And you mentioned, uh, why don't you, why don't you uh, talk about that story about, uh, the woman you met, that 62-year-old woman, that uh, you really, you know, you engaged her. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. my, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I had once had a woman who uh, I had employed, and uh, in my other business, uh, it, it's not really, it wasn't the, yeah, I guess so, it was another business, um, and she called me, and I could hear in her voice that she was like almost breaking in tears, that you could tell from the way she was speaking that she had just gone in search of self and she went to a leadership program. And I was very, um, I have known because I've been in touch with her all along. Uh, she's a single woman, doesn't have a spouse, doesn't have children and had to be uprooted from her apartment. And she was 
uh, had to transition to another neighborhood. And all of these things, as we know, can cause upheaval in a person. And it, it certainly did its number on her. She's mm-hmm. been successful in her field, and yet she didn't feel success. She doesn't feel success in her heart. She feels that she hasn't achieved her goal in life at 62, and she was quite upset. And what we know is how to tell someone, why have you not accepted what you've done as achievement? Why are you beating yourself up? And what is it that you're searching for? Let It's inside of you. Let's get it. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out what are your beliefs? What are your values? What are your core beliefs, right? And where have, where have you gone wrong? Where has it gone off course? So I really, really feel for her, and she knows that I'm into all of this and um, wondering, you know, what is it that they taught her in her leadership course? I'm, you know, going to, of course, keep up with her as a friend and a mentor to just help her to find her way. And as I was telling, I had a long conversation with my children about this because my children and uh, my family I think we are already we are many generations of a family that purpose has been a very big part of our lives. So we don't we don't necessarily like I was talking to my son who's 36 and he actually gives classes and he said uh, I was telling to him you don't really realize because you're surrounded by people who feel they have purpose what about the people who don't have that? And so how do you, you may say to them when you need to get here, but I have to teach them, how do you get from A to Z? You can't just say go to Z. Right. How? How do you do it? So that's a whole new avenue. And when you deal with the neurodiverse population alone and they lack motivation, many of them have no concept what their purpose is. Right. They're lost. Right. But I do wish to broaden. I'm going to be going outside of the, you know, and by the way, neurodiverse is the politically correct way to right. say developmentally disabled. So. Right, right. But yeah, it seems to me, Deb, in our previous conversation, we talked a little bit about this, that, you know, certainly you deal with this population, but there there seem to be really, um, you know, strong ap- you know, applications to the rest of us who, who, who maybe not quite part of that spectrum, but part of a, a general, we have these we have the issues about how to unclutter our minds in general. I mean, and also, you know, to me, in, in a sense, you know, having a sense of purpose, you know, basically, in a sense, is an organizing principle to your life, you know, so it seems to me there are lots of applications um, uh, to, to the general population and to adults um, who may not be aware of these issues in themselves, but certainly people talk about these issues of procrastination, and, and, and disorganization among, you know, a lot of us. And it seems to me that you're really onto something that, you know, I, you know, I, I remember thinking years ago, you know, when I was doing uh, stories about the, when the, the, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, passed in the early nineties, um, you know, there are things about the, the, the so-called, you know, disabilities population, which really have application for the rest of us and the things that help those with these disabilities are really things that can help the population in general. You know, and there are some simple analogies, you know, that, you know, where, uh, you know, where you talk about even physical uh, accommodations for people when you widen doors, you know, for people who, who need uh, to be pass in wheelchairs, that those are equally applicable for, you know, young mothers and fathers who are moving their kids in baby carriages, you know, so they're, 
Or, or another example is like when you develop tools for people who are older and their maybe their hand strength isn't as great. So there are these ergonomically developed tools uh, that in fact, you know, they've discovered, hey, these are better for everybody. You know, so it seems to me that a lot of your tools really have wide application, you know, as, as you continue developing your own journey. You know, I could see it's, it's sort of a fascinating listening to you talk about your, the evolution of your thought. So uh, I will say that, you know, we're current times of, uh, you know, COVID and we can't even say post COVID as the news reports that we will probably have the COVID virus with us for many years. We've seen one of the greatest changes occur in the world where people had to stay home. And now we're seeing a labor shortage because people can't stay at home and lots of things happened. So there was an increase, of course, among mental health uh, uh, experts. They will tell you there's an increase of um, challenges mentally, emotionally. And yet, I think, first of all, there, there are two different things I want to mention. One is there is, unfortunately, 25% of people who experience the COVID virus themselves were left with something called uh, a brain fog. And brain fog is now uh, similar, very similar to the executive function skill deficiencies that I deal with. And so, therefore, people should know that if they have brain fog, they don't have to live with it. They can actually be their brain just like those of someone who is disabled can be rewired and corrected. Going in the direction of the conversation that you were, you know, bringing up, I think it's really today, I think uh, people are lost more than they ever were before. I had a situation where I was uh, had a young man as I was ending my career on the uh, downsizing of you know people's homes where I, de- I had had this unbelievable high school student. He was incredibly motivated, sweet young man, and he said to me something quite upsetting, and I had no knowledge of it because you know I'm already at the other end of the spectrum. He said most of his friends um, could care less if they live or not. They have no purpose to life. They don't know what it is that life is, you know, what is life about? And at that time, I wasn't where I am today. Today, I'd like to find these young people and speak to them and help them to recognize what it is that they're, they, they have within them, their creativity, what is it that they could be giving. And one of the things that they're not understanding is that giving back to society is a very wonderful feeling for self-confidence. So the owners of this particular course that I'm taking spoke specifically about the college-age students who are going through college, spending the money, coming out, having this big debt, and then what are they doing with terms of jobs? And they're very, very disillusioned. So we have, we are now breeding a generation of many, many young people who are not so happy. And then on the other side, we've got people who are being forced out of their jobs and their early retirement, and they're getting lost. So 100,000%, this whole you know, new concept of neurochange practitioners, helping people find their way, this is not life coach. I am not a coach. I'm not sitting there like a therapist saying, well, how do you feel about this and how do you feel about that? Right. I, am a, I am teaching. I am mentoring. I am explaining to them what it is they need to pull out of themselves to help them, guide them step by step, the how-to, how to live, how to think, how to structure, how to find what it is that you're looking for. 
and really, truly not a therapist. And I make that very clear to my clients. I or help you organize your thoughts. And I think that this is a, you know, it is a business to itself. It is a niche business helping people recognize um, how they can be more productive. And that is part of that National Association of Productivity and Professional Organizers. The new word is productivity. Without it, we're lost. How do we make our seniors productive instead of casting them off to the side? How do we make our college students productive? How do we make these high school students feel like there's purpose? So I think that there is on however many generations, we must, must find a way to bring back a sense of purpose. You know, post-war, but my father came home, he knew his purpose, right? They came out of the war. These guys knew, I, wanna, I want the American dream. It was a purpose, okay? And unfortunately, I'm not going to get political, although I would like to. <laughs> you know, certain movements that are going on today are actually killing us mentally, emotionally, and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Everything, our foundation is being pulled from under us. What do you think is going to happen to the psyche? People are going to lose themselves when you tell them, well, no, sorry, you can't no longer believe in that, and no, you can't believe in that, and oh, by the way, you're responsible for all of those terrible things that happened. Really? I'm responsible? So, you know, not going too much further in this because I see your... (laughs) That's right. That's right. We'll, we'll, We'll take a pause there, but just deflect slightly because I do think there is an issue and there's a connection. So this sense of purpose, I think, is critical. And certainly it's, you know, I think there are certain parts of one's life that it, it hits us uh, more directly than others. I think you're right. So there's the younger population in their 20s coming out of college. You know, who were, in other words, they've had structure up until they graduate. And now they may have structure going forward if they, you know, if they're going to further studies, they may, they may have a sense of what their career is, but they're not sure about purpose. And I think that, again, you know, when you, you know, for the 45 forward uh, folks who may be their parents, um, you know, they're, they're and thinking about retiring or moving to a different uh, chapter of their life, they also have to think about their their purpose. But, but I think what you're saying too is the purpose is critical. But you also need the tools to get there. And in order, and and many and those that's where the organizer comes in and, and the management because it's it's one thing to you know have a purpose and a passion, but how do you get there? You need a plan. And in some cases, I think the plan requires you to acknowledge that you need better organizational skills. And, and so you're dealing with a population that is, um, you know, basically uh, organizationally maybe dysfunctional, but I think that dysfunction may be to a lesser degree, but is prevalent in a lot of society. Just as we talk about there are certain, you know, maybe this, uh, our, our, this younger generation millennials experiences more anxiety and depression, but I'm not, you know, it seems to me that that's pervasive in society. And the more we recognize the connections of what you're saying from the neurodiverse population to the different kind of neurodiverse population that is not considered so, but I think experiences a lot of these things, is a critical link. 
So I have, uh, I tell my clients there are four words I want them to keep repeating as a mantra. Plan and prepare, breathe and pause. Plan what you're going to do next. Prepare yourself so that you set yourself up for success not for failure. There are real steps how to do that, and people don't know that. So often we set ourselves up for failure. The breathing is the new meditation, not new, but the meditation which is so crucial to our lives. Some people will pray. Praying is one aspect, but there's literally the breathing. We have now understand that when we breathe, we open up the brain. The pausing, the reflecting, self-awareness. And what they're saying today is don't be afraid of stopping, spending time with yourself and opening yourself up to what is it that I'm thinking? What is it that's going on? We go on autopilot. Why? Because so many people are afraid to listen to their own minds. And if you don't listen to your own mind, how is it that you're going to make the good judgment moving forward? So, therefore, I train people how to stop, how to listen. And when you listen to yourself, you'll be surprised at how you will find your own way. But at the same time, like you said, it is true. You must organize that planning and preparing. You must organize the steps. And I live in a community, a blessed community, really, really, truly amazing, where so many people do know their purpose. And they could not possibly relate to how many people I meet who do not. And I think even, you know, now I'm speaking to moms whose young, you know, their children are in their 30s, and they're banging their heads against the wall because they're saying, I don't get it. Why is it my daughter is lost at the age of 36? She hasn't found herself. When when is she going to find herself? And you hear a lot of that. Do you hear that too, Ron? Are you are you finding that parents are saying this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they don't understand why why is it? How did that happen? I sent my I gave my child so many extracurricular activities. I sent them to the best schools, the best colleges. Well, what happened? But I don't get into the what happened. Very honestly, again, that's, that's therapy. I'm not interested in what happened. But I can tell you how you can get to where you have to be and what it is you need to do to be able to organize your thoughts and your pattern to be able to get the new habits. Now, let's talk about old, poor habits versus okay. new habits. Good. Let's so go So they there. say it takes about 21 days, okay? So it takes about 21 days, they say, of repetitive, you know, uh, change of habit to, to take on a new habit. I'm not such a big believer in any of these things. I believe that, yes, you have to practice. Okay, um, it took it took me a long time to get back into exercising. I was exercising. COVID came. I stopped. Oh my gosh, how long has it been since COVID started? And I just started getting back into exercising again. That's a long time. That's more than twenty one days. However, once I started and I continued and I continued, now I really get on that bicycle and you know I'm going. Of course, I'm stationary, but in my, <laughs> but I'm moving, <laughs> and I I feel uh, and you know 
when I teach my clients certain steps, and my sister says to me, Debbie, do you practice your breathing? Because you're telling everyone else to practice their breathing. Mm -hmm. I said, yes, I do. It's very important that I do for myself what I teach my clients. Okay, are we all perfect? No, and I tell everyone, because clearly I have certain things that I would love to reach certain goals, but I won't beat myself up over it. And I tell people, there is no such thing as perfection. The minute you fall into this trap of perfection as a way of thinking, you are setting yourself up for failure. What we must do is accept ourselves for who we are. And here's another big one, Ron. You know, Ron, I bet any amount of money you couldn't downsize that house. And I bet any amount of money I couldn't write your piece on Newsday because I'm not you and you're not me. And the problem we have is when people live in a community, people will look at each other and say, well, how come they can do that and I just can't? And then that stops a person from even progressing because they're spending more time looking at their neighbor, wondering what's wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. You're terrific. You're just not giving yourself credit for what you can do. You can achieve. Everything you're doing, you're achieving. You're different. And you're not the same as the other person because none of us are alike. And that's part of it. Right. Yeah, that's linked to your purpose and and then... Basically, understanding that and, and being able to organize yourself to get you to where you want to go. So, well, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, unfortunately, though, we're coming <laughs> to the close of our show, um, uh, but we, we'll have to have you come back and, and see what the next part of your journey takes you oh, to, I'd love what you to. learn from this part. Oh, I'd love I just, to. Oh, like, like my friends, my friends say, oh, a new year, a new Debbie, you know. <laughs> right, new Debbie. <laughs> like, to me, it's all but that's, it's, it's really just my curious mind. It was my way my father had trained me. Yeah, but, just keep, you know, reach for the stars. Just keep yeah, going. Don't. Yeah. What do I have to stop for? Well, right. That's that's you know you've you've hit the premise of our show, which is basically forty five forward, and and every chapter may be different. You know, it's not just retirement. It may be meant to go, but uh, there's no reason to to stop learning, to stop living, and to stop uh, you know going to another chapter. So before before we go, let me just ask uh, Debbie if people want to get in touch with you. Uh, your email is info at organizeyouforlife.com. Is that the best way to people to get in touch with you? Yes, it's info at organize, and organize is spelled the American way, O-R-G-A-N-I-Z-E with the letter U, the digit for life.com. Um, interestingly enough, we have a lot of uh, people here from Australia and others, and they spell it with an S. <laughs> it's not. Okay. It's okay. Organize good. you for life. But thank you. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, folks. So we'll listen. Uh, be sure to join me next Monday again, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Michelle Elman, the author of, and she's across the pond and from Great Britain. Uh, she's the author of The Joy of Being Selfish. She's the queen of boundaries who will teach us why we need boundaries in our lives and how to set them. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.